The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State Athletics. It's game time. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Well, well, well. How the turntables. Welcome into the game. Mitch Fortner, <laughs> Troy Coverdale. I should have known you'd go with an office reference. Sage is back with us today. Yay. Welcome back, Sage. Big Steve taking the day, taking the afternoon off. As we get Sage back, feeling better. She's back, ready to go, and ready to join us here on the show. We're going to be actually speaking with Derek Young from KCN Online here in just a few moments. Also, at 440... Fresh off the call with the Chiefs beating the Pittsburgh Steelers and retiring Big Ben. Voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtz, is coming up here in about over 30 minutes from now. Plus, coming up in the second hour, of course, you'll get your number one song of the day and ask us anything. I'm getting out of here at about 520 because K-State women's basketball is at home taking on the Kansas Jayhawks, a Jayhawks team that is much better from previous years. Brandon Schneider has them rolling, and uh, K-State an opportunity to bounce back to beat the Jayhawks potentially tonight. You hope so. Get things back on the winning track in what is one of the most uh, continuous rivalries in women's basketball. I haven't gone back to look, but it's been a long time since both of these teams have been uh, with single-digit losses coming into a matchup against each other. Now the K-State women played tonight. The K-State men played last night down in Austin, and they pulled off the upset. 66-65, the final. The Cats beat number uh, 23, Texas. You know, Mitch Palm had, you know, just couldn't quite pull the trigger. <laughs> wanted to. Wanted to say it's absolutely going to happen in case they pulls the upset. All really Mitch Palm gave you was a three-point loss for the Cats, but don't be surprised if the Cats do win the game, and they did. But you know what? They were disrespected by Ken Palm. Ken Palm said, like, it. 19% chance of winning. Vegas says the Cats lose by 10.5 points. Nobody give K-State a chance, but they got it done, despite what the experts, the mathematicians, the computers, whoever was calculating all these thoughts. They're once again proving some people wrong right now, and things kind of feel a little bit different right now with this team. And with that being said, before we get to DY, we need to uh, we need to take care of a little housekeeping here because we we didn't do it yesterday. We should have, but it's time to bring back a little pain train. Pain. Pain. When you beat two top 25 teams in the row, oh hell yeah, you deserve the Bruce Weber pain train. We're now joined by Derek Young from KCN Online. He's at Young Rivals on Twitter. Derek, uh, appreciate your time, like always, here on a Wednesday. What is the secret? How has K-State turned it around? Is it the hair? 
Shorter hair, is that what leads to success these days? Well, that seems to be helping, right? Ever since they got the buzz cuts, they're 2-0. and Who's got them so far? We got Mike, uh, Ishmael Masood, Bradford, Nigel Pack. That's what I said. How many more haircuts does it take for a win in Bramlage on Saturday? Because that's going to be a monstrous game. It'll easily be the biggest crowd of the year. You know who did give Kansas State a chance against Texas on Tuesday night? Uh, our Grant Flanders. Yes. He actually predicted a 65 65- 64 Kansas State win one point from being on the dot. I won't lie. I like. I bet a lot of us like wanted to just throw it out there and say K State wins in Austin, but we just didn't have the courage because right. we're just kind of feeding off of what K State has done this year. Even though you kind of you're kind of you're riding the momentum right of what K State did against Texas Tech, but just couldn't quite pull the trigger. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way. There was a part of me that came close to picking. Kansas State, I also only had it as a two-point loss, I think. It, it felt like a good spot for them, just like the Texas Tech game. You know, we we documented that pretty well on KSO. That was Texas Tech's fourth game in seven days. They were playing 11 a.m. on Saturday after and on the road after playing them Thursday night, so not even 48 hours between two contests. So they were catching the Red Raiders at the right time. I don't know that we can really say that they were catching Texas at the right time, but it just felt like a good spot for them. It really did. And and I thought that was their best game of the year, really, that they played. Obviously, they closed it out better than another games, um, aside from Texas Tech, of course, um, a few nights prior. And folks will want to say, hey, their best game against Texas Tech. They beat a higher-ranked team by 11 points at home. But I just thought that, that – uh, Texas was a tougher game, just maybe it was because of venue. And I thought Texas played better than Texas Tech did. So just to claw out that one-point win, I, I thought it was pretty impressive. And and it, it just feels like the worm's turning a little bit, right? If you if you look back, obviously they were struggling. They were 0-4 in the Big 12. But, man, they weren't that far away, right? I mean, there's been a lot of close losses this year. One of the things that stands out about being able to go into Texas last night and get that victory is they did so against a team that has predicated a lot on defense. That's Chris Beard hanging his hat on defense, and I know that he was frustrated over the weekend and how his team played defensively. I felt like the Cats took advantage of maybe a down defensive effort again by Texas as they've kind of hit a stretch now where where they're trying to figure some things out. Yeah, and I kind of kind of goes into it a little bit why I think they actually play better against Texas than they did against Texas Tech because – and, I, and I'm, I don't like to be this guy, but that was a really poorly officiated game last night as well, right? And Texas made, I think, 12 more free throws than mm-hmm. Kansas State. So they just play even at the line or some of the calls are a little bit more consistent. And I know the Wildcats were probably on the, the better end of a call here and there as well. But if that just plays out – as a game normally, then Kansas State, you know, they don't have to win that in the biting fashion. They, they might win it kind of comfortably on the road. I think we need to clarify the, for the audience, D.Y., you did get to actually watch the game, correct? I did, yeah. I, I uh, you know, kind of found my way into the Longhorn Network, for sure. <laughs> found your way. I like that. Found, <laughs> I think he's air quoting over there in Kansas City, found his way to the Longhorn yeah. Network. <laughs> Uh, I did not get to watch the game. I was listening to Stan and Wyatt call call the game, and I thought Stan made actually quite a 
he said it quite a few times about how you know K State. Yes, they've called their way back. Now they need to try to find a way to take the crowd out of the game because they were starting to get rowdy. Now that it's a close game, but K State seemed to battle through any kind of adversity they did find. If it was the fouls or being down nine points nine minutes into the game, how many times have we seen that this year where K State gets down early and they're trying to claw their way back and? The non-con, they weren't getting there. Yeah, they they were not getting there in the non-con. If you go back to the games in Kansas City, and then now they claw back against Texas. I want to kind of turn back to what we were talking about earlier and what has been the difference in the last couple of games, and I think you can actually go back to the TCU game as well, and I'll get your opinion on this here, D.Y., and that's going with a small ball lineup. And if you look at the numbers, minutes-wise, top five players in minutes – in the Texas game, we're all guards. And you're seeing less minutes as we've continued on through the year. You're seeing less minutes for Davion Bradford, Casey Eziegu. Carlton Lingard was mixed in the lineup, and he, I think he had more point or he had a more uh, more minutes last night than Casey. How much has that changed the way K-State's been able to play with, I would say, more athletes on the floor? I think they can play a little quicker, get out and transition a little bit more. Some of their bigs just aren't guys that can really run the floor very well. And I think, you know, they're they're kind of statues from an athletic standpoint. So I think you hit the nail on the head. They could be a more athletic team. And, and, and they don't lose a lot of rebounding, if we're being honest, right, if they don't have those bigs in a lineup. Because, you know, those guys have a lot of size. And I think they help you defensively when you play a team that can kind of bang a little bit in the post, which Kansas will with, with McCormick, with Lightfoot. So you you might see more Bradford and Eziegu and maybe even Lingard because of that. But when you have a lot of these teams that don't necessarily have that, you know, back to the basket offensive presence in the post, Kansas State can kind of get away with being a little bit more athletic and being smaller because they don't really sacrifice a lot of rebounding without those guys in there. They might be big, but – their athleticism kind of limits their ability on the glass. I don't think we're seeing big offensive rebounding numbers or rebounding numbers in general from Bradford or, or Easy Agu or the, the little bit that we've seen from Landers and, and Lingard. I mean, the, I mean, let's be honest, what, right? The, the best rebounders on this team is easily Mark Smith. He's the best rebounder in the Big 12 at this point, almost averaging a double-double. But even Selta Miguel is a really quality rebounder as well. I mean, the, the best rebounders from this team are really on the wing. Talking with Derek Young from K-State Online here on the game for the first couple of segments on the show. Uh, Marcus Carr for Texas was having a, a pretty solid day with with scoring the basketball. Finished with 25 mm-hmm. points. He was about 50% from the field, but man, was he getting to the free throw line. And Texas is the best free throw shooting team in the Big 12. Um, D.Y., don't you feel like a guy like Marcus Carr needs an upgrade? Yeah, yeah. I almost, I, you know, obviously, we're making fun of the, the Texas publisher there, Jeff Ketchum, who kind of did yeah. poke fun a little bit at Kansas State <laughs> and keeps, you know, tweeting about Deuce Fall whenever he has, you know, quality performance, especially against Texas, that he needs to upgrade in the transfer portal, whatever. But yeah, you can say that for a lot of things with Texas. They, they could use a lot of upgrading. You know, when's the last time they won a Big 12 in, the, in, the, in either sport? Uh, I think it's been. Has it been more than a decade? I mean, you could say that about any Texas athlete at this point. It just seems like and, – and, and now they have Chris Beard and they have Steve Sarkeesian, so there's supposed to be a lot of hype around both programs for the Longhorns. And now Chris Beard went from being a national champion coach at Texas Tech to Austin, and he's already underachieving. So you just have – you got to wonder if, if the underachieving part is just in the DNA of Texas and that it's not really tied or associated with any of these particular coaches. 
Well, once again, D.Y., I, I mentioned earlier that I didn't get to watch the game, so maybe some of these questions are going to be kind of bland. And I just kind of want to yeah. get your opinion because you had the eyes on the game and I didn't. Uh, but the you know the last couple of games, I would say Marquise Noel hasn't been exactly a scoring factor. After scoring the five points before the under-16 against Texas Tech, he has scored six total in the last... 36 minutes of Texas Tech and the whole 40 against Texas. But is he able to get away with that because he's making clutch plays down the stretch with not so much scoring the basketball, but like that wraparound pass he had to Nigel down the lane or stealing late against Texas Tech? Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head. And and to be honest, I can think of two offensive rebounds, one in each of the last two games late that made a difference. And he's five foot seven, and he's getting the offensive rebound that really makes a difference in the game. He he is a good basketball player, and he is very important to this team, whether he's scoring or not, because he can be so impactful even when he doesn't, you know, have the ball in his hands willing to score. Um, He doesn't have to score a lot to be – the team's most important player or to be a critical player, to be an impactful player. Talked about Texas Tech. Uh, he got a steal and then got fouled late in the game. Um, and then, you know, had another offensive rebound, the district to Selton Miguel underneath the rim for an easy layup. And that was the biggest sequence of that game. That really was the winning winning moments for Kansas State against Texas Tech. Now they would pull away, but that's really where they started to stretch, stretch it out and really pull away from Texas Tech and ultimately where they won the game. Then last night you're, you're, you know, dead on there too. And he's not scoring a lot, but all of a sudden he he makes a critical drive late in the game when the game is still up in the balance. And, you know, he's penetrating the and getting into the paint, doing the wraparound basket to Nigel Pack for an easy lay-in. Or he comes flying in after, you know, a desperation shot uh, at the end of the shot clock, I think from Mark Smith, one of the, might've been the only three he missed in the second half. Um, and Noel just comes flying in there with reckless abandon, grabs the offensive rebound and, tries to convert at the same time and gets fouled. Um, and he makes both of those free throws. That was a critical juncture of the game that that really made a difference. So he's a guy that can really impact the game and be a difference maker even when he's not scoring the ball. And, and that's really the sign of a great basketball player. And those were two monster free throws because that was in a sequence where you're in the final three and a half minutes of the game. I think there was maybe a minute, minute and a half to go at that point. But Texas did not score in the final 334 of the game Meanwhile, K-State scores six points total. They made that 6-0 run to finish the game and win by a point. And Marquise Noel, who wasn't scoring the basketball, was a major factor. And they did it with a small lineup. like yeah. And not just a small ball lineup, an ultra small lineup. I think the biggest guys on the floor were Mark Smith and Salta Miguel. That's how small they were. They were playing the four and the five. They didn't have Masood. You know, Bradford, Lingard, Eziego, none of those guys. They had they basically had Mark Smith or Salt Miguel playing the post. Well, and to be honest with you, I mean I I love the effort down the stretch, but the small lineup, and I think Bruce Weber said after the game it was like the second smallest lineup. They were Texas was getting a lot of offensive rebounds. I, I think K State maybe in that run did get a little bit lucky that Texas didn't capitalize on some of the rebounding that the Cats weren't there, getting there in was that a time. possession where yeah there was a possession where texas had three offensive rebounds yeah in, in the same possession and then went to the free throw line as well and they didn't score at all so th- despite texas being a great free throw shooting team this year and they were great free throw shooting last night i mean those it's funny when you could be so good the entire night but those two misses make it make a big difference 
We're talking with Derek Young from K-State Online. Let's take a break. And when we come back with still Derek Young on the show, I, I want to get his thoughts on Mike McGurl in his effort the last couple of games. Plus, the Cats pick up another transfer portal player that's going to play some defensive back for the Cats next season. You're listening to the game on K-Man. Back with Derek Young from K-State Online here on the game. Before we get back to D.Y., I was kind of looking through uh, K-State women's basketball and their game notes for tonight. The, uh, the rivalry with KU goes back a long way. One of the longest continued rivalries in women's basketball. But Aoka Lee, if you would have told me that she would pass a career mark of Nicole Oldies in two and a half years, I, I wouldn't believe you. But Aoka Lee tonight could very well pass Nicole Oldie in career blocks. She's three shy of Oldie with 201. And that's fourth all time. And she's done that in two and a half years at K-State. And also for reference... Uh, I was asked about this yesterday at the high school game. Aoka Lee, where is she at in the career point standings? She is 14th and most likely will move into 13th by the end of tonight. That game is going to tip off at 6.30 from Bramwich. That means pregame starts 6 o'clock sharp here on K-Man against the Kansas Jayhawks. We're back with Derek Young from K-State Online, and we're talking K-State men and two straight wins against top 25 opponents. And an unsung hero, I think, in a couple of these games have been Mike McGurl. Mike McGurl, in the last two coming off of COVID protocol, he's 8 for 11 overall from the floor, 5 of 7 from 3, and he has 23 points. But I want to get Derek Young's opinion on this about the role that Mike McGurl is currently in. Coming off the bench, kind of like a sixth-man type of uh, situation when it comes to the rotation. But, I mean, if you had a way to script it, even the last couple of years, doesn't it feel like this is kind of the perfect spot for Mike McGurl off the bench, sixth guy coming and knock down some shots? Yeah, I think that kind of secondary role is perfect for him. And I think it always has been perfect for him. I mean, if we remember, he was, you know, a little bit that guy when they made the, the Elite Eight tournament run, right? That's what he was for Dean Wade, Kim Stokes, Barry Brown in that year. I remember, he busted out against Creighton in the NCAA tournament, if I remember correctly. So, And that was off the bench. I think that's always been his best role. He was thrusted into something that was probably not suited for him for, for a while. I mean, but you also have to take into account how good of a teammate he is by doing this, right? How unselfish he is by doing this, because he started all last year. He started at the beginning of this year. This is his sixth year. He came back. He didn't have to come back. And if he came back, maybe, you know, he was thinking that he would start or that he would get a considerable amount of minutes. Instead, you know, he's not complaining. He's owning that role. He's taking it well. He's being a good teammate. He's being himself. He's coming off the bench and, and being an alternative scorer, a role player, and playing a secondary role, and he's embracing it. And really, the production that he's been able to contribute from that role, from that spot, has been vital. I mean, he might be coming off the bench, but he's been their third most important player. Um, maybe fourth, but third or fourth most important player for this team in the last two games, ones you know that have been their best wins of the season. Yeah, D.Y., you are correct in that NCAA tournament game against Creighton. He had 17 points off the bench, 17 of the 19 K-State had in that game. And I think he hit – didn't he hit like a deep three right before yeah, the, the half? Corner. Yeah, in the corner. And I think he dunked on someone really good too. Was that Marcus Foster on the Creighton team, I believe? Yes, yeah, that was uh, Marcus Foster's uh, final game at the collegiate level, and he finished with five points. 
Yeah, so that's a very, very. It was a very fitting game. Looking back on it now. Yeah, D, uh, there's no way Barry Brown was going to let him run loose in that one. Now, uh, speaking of uh, Mike McGurl, so he is the only cat on this roster that has ever seen the Octagon of Doom. And the, what I mean by that is he's seen a full Octagon of Doom against the Kansas Jayhawks. He's the only one that's ever experienced that, which is a sign, you know, it's another sign that there's been way too much turnover when it comes to personnel for the Cats in the last handful of years, mm-hmm. but of course didn't have it last year because of the pandemic. But I mean, it, it, it kind of worries me a little bit that there's yeah, so many I mean, guys on this team that haven't experienced <laughs> that kind of crowd. Meanwhile, Kansas goes on the road all the time and deals in hostile environments. Are you in the same boat? A little bit. I mean, this is going to be more, or let's say this, this will probably be, be as much of a shock to the system for the K-State players as it will the KU players. Now, the KU players, they do go on the road and play in those kinds of hostile environments, but it'll even be a shock to the system for probably everyone on KU, save for um, probably Mitch Lightfoot, because he's been there a decade. Um, so he's definitely seen it probably multiple times. David McCormick perhaps has too. He's, it seems like he's been there a while. I don't know that Christian Brown or Oche Baji have seen it um, at at least a fever pitch. Even if it was their first year was two years ago, it still probably wasn't at a fever pitch just because of what's happened the last two games. So it'll be pretty raucous. I think, you know, 95% of both rosters, this is going to be a shock to the system. KU pr- does play a lot of places that get up for them every single time they they played the Jayhawks at home. But there's not as much hate in the arena in those contests as what they always experience in Bramlage. So that while they do see those kinds of environments, this one's always a little bit more different and a little bit more angrier, a little bit more hateful. <laughs> I will say, I think the Jayhawks, though, you, you do mention there's a lot of guys that haven't seen the Bramlage crowd yet. Maybe they do have a little bit of a head start, though, because with going on the road in Big 12 play, they have seen a hostile environment in Texas Tech, and they did play last night in, in Norman. I, I, I've been in Norman for, for some couple of big games, and I mean, it's you know it's not too crazy or anything, but at least no. they have gone in the road and, and dealt with some crazy crowds. But I tell you what, after you beat two straight top 25 teams, I would expect a few more cats. Uh, the K-State fans are going to roll up into Bramlage on Saturday and, and try to catch this one. Yeah, it, but it's a little bit different even. I, and I know Texas Tech had a good crowd when the Jayhawks were there, but this is even a little bit different. I mean, they'll walk out for warm-ups like 45, 50 minutes before the tip, and they will hear some things they probably haven't heard all year from, yeah. from K-State student section. This one's different. Yeah, maybe a few things a little bit more vulgar, potentially. You never know. <laughs> uh, now, if you go to uh, – KansasState.Rivals.com is where you can get K-State Online's expert analysis on K-State sports and what has been going on lately with K-State athletics. Uh, I noticed one of your articles up there, D.Y., was titled A Glimmer of Hope. And I thought that was a really good title with where K-State is currently sitting right now. In your words, what does that mean right now for K-State after these two wins? Uh, Not only where they sit right now, but what could it also turn into if they beat the Jayhawks? You beat the Jayhawks, I think you're squarely on the bubble, and then you can start talking about the NCAA tournament once again. So by saying a glimmer of hope, it's that you're not there yet, but all of a sudden by beating two ranked teams that are basically quad one wins, I think, 
you, you've put yourself in at least a position to perhaps thrust thrust yourself back into the discussion because they definitely walked themselves out of it by losing their first four conference games. With that being said, another part of that article was the what if part, or at least I did maybe it was a separate article because there was three games that were clearly winnable that they probably actually just coughed up. You think about the Marquette game at home where that was definitely winnable and they lose by a point. You think about TCU, you're up by five with, with 30, 40 seconds left and you kind of, you, you didn't know how to win the game. I mean, the TCU was probably the most inexcusable win. But, and another one is West Virginia on the road. You were up by 17 points at one point. So those are three winnable wins. If you have those three to to combine with what you just did in Austin and at home against Texas Tech, and we're probably not having a discussion about the bubble, you're probably squ- squarely in the tournament at that point. Speaking with Derek Young from K-State Online, um, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be in town on Saturday for that game. But transitioning into to football, I do want to ask you before we let you go here, D.Y., about uh, Sean Robinson, the defensive back who is uh, he's coming to case. As far as I know, he's actually already here as he transfers yes, in from. Yeah, so he's already okay. So he's already in, uh, taking classes, but uh, so that means he'll be here for spring ball. That's good news. And Missouri kid. Um, I say Missouri kid, he spent the last couple of years in Missouri where he actually started as a quarterback, but before that he was at TCU. But, uh, you know, a guy that's going to add to the depth at, at secondary next year. But I think the question is, does he have the opportunity to be, or does he have the capability, I should say, to be an all-Big 12 type of talent, D.Y.? Yeah, all-Big 12 type of talent is, uh, perhaps the potential is there. Remember, he's still learning the position. Like you said, he was a quarterback for three or four years, and he just, you know, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, switched to safety. And and he made that switch so seamless that he started, you know, pretty quickly after switching to spot. So it just shows you there's probably a lot of upside and a lot of potential to be untapped there. And he was an incredible athlete. He was the Gatorade player of the year in the state of Texas. <laughs> I mean, you got to be good to do that. And obviously he was a high recruit and had, you know, an incredible offer list to be a quarterback out of high school. He played quarterback at over a thousand yards, the, in 2018 with TCU, he started that game that year against Ohio State, I believe, and played pretty well. So you're talking about an all-around athlete. So when all Big 12, you know, that's a little bit of a stretch probably just because he hasn't played the position too much. But we can't say that the potential isn't there because athleticism kind of oozes out of him, as indicated by the way that he played the quarterback position, switched to safety, and still played right away and contributed at a, at a high level and was the Gatorade Player of the Year in high school in the state of Texas. So this is a, a pretty big-time athlete, and they'll probably get a very mature player, much like they did when they signed Timmy Horn at the same time last year that perhaps could be a captain one day. i tell you what, do I actually – I did not know that um, that Sean Robinson was a Gatorade Player of the Year in Texas. And that, that, that makes me flash back to when I was in junior high. We used to watch this show in school called Channel One, it was like a, yep, me too. A, a new, yep. Yeah, it was like a show, you know, it was for kids, like a news show for like 30 minutes or something like that, maybe 20 minutes. But we watched mm-hmm. it every day, and I remember they always made a big deal about when they – like some schools would announce like their Gatorade Player of the Year, they'd make a big deal out of that. And when I saw that, I was like, all right, that seems like a pretty big deal to be a Gatorade Player of the Year. So whenever I hear that about an athlete, and that athlete's coming to K-State, I'm all about it. Just think of Dylan Phillips who was a Gatorade player of the year in Nebraska, plays baseball at K-State, and he is obviously killing it. 
Well, uh, D.Y., I suppose on that, we'll let you go. I appreciate you coming on once again on another Wednesday, and uh, we'll see you on Saturday for Sunflower Showdown. Absolutely, anytime. Derek Young from K-Stand Online, bringing that K-Stand Online flex to the game. You can follow him on Twitter at DYoungRivals, and just go check out KansasState.Rivals.com for that expert analysis and what's been going on lately with K-State football and basketball. When we come back, voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis on the game. I don't know about you guys, but I will never get sick of seeing Mark Smith. The game has been final for five seconds, and he's just thrown out the double horns down <laughs> to the folks at the drum. <laughs> Couldn't get enough of it. Thank you, Mark Smith, for the beautiful memories. All right, we have the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, joining us now on the game. And, Mitch, I appreciate your time. First of all, I know you've been crazy busy with – with uh, playoff prep and getting ready for these games, but have you been able to uh, take in the Cats and watch these last couple of games beating top 25 opponents? I watched the end of the Texas Tech game, uh, you know, clinging for dear life. I had memories of the TCU game in my head, uh, but they did a great job finishing. I didn't get to see a second of the Texas game um, and didn't have it on. I've been buried in. We've got additional shows that we're doing for the playoffs, but I don't know. Have the Orange Bloods chimed in yet on this win? They don't want to Deuce Vaughn to now transfer because Texas lost to K-State in basketball, do they? No, I hear they're trying to get Mark Smith now. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Or even <laughs> Nigel Pack. I can see it. Why would you not want to go to Texas and underachieve? Uh, so, that place. I'm just don't get me started on it. Uh, but I'm glad you uh, – normally I'm on every other week with you guys, but I wanted to be on this week because, frankly, I was – spun in another universe last week and uh when you guys asked me about matt miller i kind of got things uh you know confused with chad may at the same time and i wanted to apologize to all the k-staters listening you guys need to know and every listener needs to know how much kansas state university means to me uh it is in the fabric of my soul and it was uh the hardest time in my life to leave k-state i did the chiefs in k-state for two years but it was all the other extra stuff i had to do i mean a sales manager of the wildcat sports network and was doing you know all the stuff that Wyatt does now plus plus uh, i just couldn't i just couldn't continue on but nevertheless i love the place and uh, i felt badly after i hung up with you thinking man i got that all jumbled up that matt miller was and, and knowing less as well right because less work for the chiefs uh, but Matt Miller's time, uh, just incredible dude. And yes, the Cincinnati play will go down as one of all time, but that went over Kansas in the 41-7 game in 1995 when I actually was doing TV for that game. They did a pay-per-view game where both schools think, oh, we're going to make some money on this. Uh, nobody picked it up on television, which is stupid. And then, so Coach Snyder asked me to do the game on television, so I moved over and did it, I think, with David Lawrence of KU. And, and uh, anyway, during the week, I remember Bob Stoops telling me, we're going to kill these guys. And then, of course, Matt was running that day, uh, more than throwing. But I just wanted to apologize to all the K-State fans for mixing that up. Matt Miller was uh, a great dude, great dude. And uh, whether it's a coach or a quarterback, and yes, to lead that 10-win season in 1995, which was my last uh, fall of being the voice of the Wildcats for football. I do felt, I felt bad though. He, he got hurt in the Holiday Bowl in Kavanaugh 
had to play the bulk of that game. That was my last game for football as the voice of the Wildcats. And I remember feeling bad for Matt that he didn't get to kind of clean that game up and finish it out. But he was great that year in 95. He was on fire, Matt Miller. I think there's no doubt, Mitch, I can speak for the K-State fan base that we love you for not only what you've done for K-State, but just the knowledge that you've retained over the years. And there's a story I like to tell just around the radio station about how when I was in, you know, the third chair and I was, you know, the one board hopping all the shows and I was still a nobody about when I would call you, you once asked me where I'm from. And you might not remember this, but I told you Morganville. And not only do you know a lot about K-State, but you know a lot of just about the state of Kansas. And you were able to tell me about how, you know, Morganville is known, and this is a town of 200 people, is known for having that fantastic old school basketball gym that still has the old clock in there, the original floor, the stage. And I I really admired that you knew something about Morganville, Kansas. Well, I stopped at that gym and looked at it. That's what I do. Uh, I'll be an idiot. You know, I get... Now you got to be careful security. you got to clear it and everything. But I'd love to find those old gyms. And, and um, Forney's book, Stephen Forney wrote a book a couple years ago about hallowed hardwood. That's just awesome. And I want to see all those gyms at some point. But, yeah, heck yeah. Um, but just I just want people to know how much I love K-State and always have and always will. Ever since I was a little kid, my mom growing up, and my grandpa was Burns of Burns Donuts. And, uh, if people want to go back and listen to my speech when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, that'll just kind of capsulize everything. But I, I felt bad after that discussion because I didn't want to confuse the two, and I just did. I just got got all my wires crossed, and it was just I, I felt like it was disrespectful to Matt and disrespectful into Matt's family and to K State, and all of that means so much to me. Well, I'm not sure anybody could top you though, Mitch, in, in your knowledge for K State athletics. For for the Kansas City Chiefs, I did bring up the thirty four game and the beating Nebraska that people have forgotten. Yeah, about. I was going to say. Game. I mean, come on, people, let's go. Not in my catch. Not in my wildest <laughs> dreams. Day in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come on. If you ask me, what were your great moments, or what do you think were the greatest moments in K State history? And I popped in the Pappy Waldorf's thirty four team beating the Huskers on Thanksgiving Day to win the Big Six. Like, come on, man, let's go. I was going to ask you, can you are you good at reciting like dates and scores? For thirty the thirty four team, I mean, just in general. Uh, sometimes it kind of you know comes and goes. Now the playoffs are so stinking furious right now that um, you know my hard drive. I've only got so much capacity in the hard drive. I can, maybe I get some external hard drive and yeah, handle every date and time. But generally, I'm pretty good at it, at least to get in a range. Well, the Chiefs take down the Steelers forty two twenty one in the division, the uh, the wild card round rather to get to the divisional round. The scoop and score by T.J. Watt. Did it kind of feel like that was exactly what the Chiefs were needing to spark something, spark some anger, and which led on to, to six straight touchdowns? Well, that's what happened. I don't know if that's what they needed or not. But in uh, Tyreek Hill, there has to be a spark. There have, the, the, the forgotten plays, whether it's K-State or the Chiefs, if you go back in time, some great moment was started by a spark. For example, I like to re- Remind everybody in the run in 2019, people forget down 24 to nothing to the Texans in the divisional playoff game. I sat on the air, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, but I'm thinking it just takes one play. It's just going to take one somebody to light the fuse. And that was McCole Hardman. He had a 58 yard kickoff return, and the floodgates opened for three, four glorious weeks. Well, in this game, uh, when you asked the question, I immediately thought of Tyreek Hill. 
Tyreek Hill was so ticked off about the scoop and score, he went nuts. It wasn't Tyron Matthew or, you know, the normal cast of characters. It was Tyreek Hill. And he's like, get me the ball. Let's go. And if you recall, the next two offensive plays after that, Tyreek Hill starts it with a 20-yard catch, and that drive, which got everything going, it was started by Tyreek Hill. So, yeah, he was ticked off. If the rest of the team didn't get started, it got, it got the cheetah started. And then he's seen later dancing with the cheerleaders, and it's like yeah, the scoop and score was no big deal. Yeah, I was like, that's a, that's a memory. We forget, but we're going to forget that it was Tyreek Hill's 20-yard reception. It was really a good route and catch. They got everything going. And the floodgates, it was like being a tunnel when they opened the floodgates. Um, uh, that, and it was just nuts. I mean, 28 points in 10.5 game minutes, an all-time NFL record in the playoff by 15 minutes. And it just, once they get that rolling, and they've got so many people now, Demarcus Robinson playing with confidence, K-State or Byron Pringle playing with confidence. McCole Hardman has his confidence back. This is the 2019 McCole Hardman that played with confidence in his rookie year. So that all bodes well, So because you can have compliments then to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who, by the way, was phenomenal and set an all-time NFL record in the playoffs with 100 yards receiving, throwing a pass and catching a touchdown pass and throwing a touchdown pass. And then the other crazy stat for him was his seventh 100-yard receiving game in the postseason. In all of the National Football League of postseason touchdown receptions, only Jerry Rice has more than Kelsey. He's got eight. Kelsey's got seven. And to me, that's crazy when you think about that historical context. Well, here, if you want a nugget about Byron Pringle you want to use for your broadcast, catching two touchdowns from uh, two different quarterbacks, first time he's done that since uh, he was a cat and beat Texas Tank in overtime back in 2017. I remember that game. So then they're going to follow up who were the two K-State quarterbacks. Well, of course, it's Alex Delton and Skylar Thompson. Sure, of course. Everybody's going to get Alex Delton. Uh, at least in Hayes they will, but <laughs> I don't think they'll get it uh, you know, the rest of the kingdom. But, yeah, heck yeah. What did you feel about Jarrett McKinnon? Because he was uh, getting a lot of – he was getting heckled like crazy at the game. Steelers fans were letting him know that he never plays. Uh, they, they were calling him a nobody and all this, but he, then he goes for 142 and a touchdown. I felt like he got the last <laughs> laugh on that one. Well, if you want to get somebody fired up, start heckling Jarek McKinnon. Now, I found a – talking about nuggets, I found one on him because I'd forgotten about this because watching him play – uh, he had 142 all-purpose yards and was great at running those screens, but he also was outstanding at just base runs. But in the combine in 2014, keep in mind that he was an option quarterback at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern was running kind of the Navy option and Georgia Tech stuff. And McKinnon, in the combine in 2014, has, I think, 32 bench reps. You guys can look this up. And a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical. That was the best for a running back in those two categories since 2003. So that was 11 years of combine of running backs. And look at the list of running backs that went through the combine in those 11 years. I'm not sure it's been eclipsed since. But anyway, you're talking a guy with a 41-inch vertical that can bench 32 uh, reps of what they, what is it, 225, I think, at the combine. I mean, the dude's an athlete. Now, he's not, people want to call in Damian Williams and the run to immortality in 2019. But Damien is 225 pounds. McKinnon's 208. But McKinnon's 208 is like the 155 state champion wrestler. There's a lot of muscle and power to that cat. And 
I think now, if he's the hot hand in the playoffs, then let the dude rip it. With the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtz, we've got time for one more, and I want to get your thoughts on the this rematch from Week 5 between the Chiefs and Bills. Now, obviously, it's the divisional round of the playoffs, but what stands out to you about this game? How much things have changed since October for both teams. I'll just give you the quick crop dust here. There's so many nuggets. We could do a two-hour show on this game. But for where is Buffalo different than the October Buffalo team that blew out the Chiefs? 38 to 20. I would say they're better. We have seen the new Colin Klein of the NFL, which is Josh Allen, right? That's what they have quarterback design runs, like the 2012 Cats. They have some really cool plays that just look like pass plays, but they immediately turn into a quarterback power. Uh, it's not a scramble, and it's not the old Bill Snyder quarterback power. This is something unique, different, and very, very um, interesting. They also are using more people. Devin Singletary is more a part of it. Dawson Knox, the tight end, is more a part of it. Uh, their other receivers, whether it's Gabriel Davis or Isaiah McKenzie, we know about Emmanuel Sanders, there's Beasley. they got a lot of dudes, just like the Chiefs. The Chiefs have, I mentioned, you mentioned McKinnon, Pringle, all the guys now that have entered the party. So both teams are coming in with a lot of offensive weapons and production and the two hottest quarterbacks. NFL's never had a two quarterbacks meet in the playoffs in the next round that had a combined five touchdowns each in the round prior. It's never happened. But where the Bills have changed is they have become so good defensively. They are the valedictorian right now in the NFL. If you look at their defensive grade card, scoring defense, passing defense, yards per play defense, their down defense, uh, best against play action passing against seam routes. First, 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 first. Another nugget. The Bills are only the fourth team in NFL history that is leading all of those categories and has an offense that is at least fourth in total offense. It's only happened three other times in NFL history, and all three of those teams won Super Bowls. The 84 49ers, the 85 Bears, which surprised me they were that good offensively, and the 96 Packers. Now, the Chiefs are different defensively. It's not going to be the same woeful bunch that was trying to slow down Josh Allen back in October. Chris Allen didn't, sorry, Chris Jones didn't play in that game. Um, Savarius Ward didn't play in that game. Melvin Ingram wasn't here yet. Uh, there was a pitch count on Willie Gay Jr. and Frank Clark, and they were Spags wasn't playing uh, Thornhill. He only played 44% of the time. This is giving you a long, crop-dusted answer, but these two gate teams are so vastly different from the game in October, it's hard to even use that game as a comparison. Division round of the playoffs, the Chiefs and Bills are the main event. And you'll catch Mitch Holtis right here on K-Man. Kickoff is at 5.30. Mitch, we're looking forward to listening to your call, and we'll talk to you soon. In the words of Bob Stoops, the week before that K-State-KU game in 95 with Matt Miller at quarterback, Mitch, we're going to kick these guys' butts. It's going to be a blowout. Okay, Bob, let's go. That's the voice um, of the – go ahead. That's the voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, on the game. Hour two of the game is coming up next.